to Down City Cash Chicago. For 150 years, we've been relying on this old folk tale of Captain O'Leary and a cow to talk about the Great Chicago Fire. But Mrs. O'Leary and that cow are scapegoats. The real story of what happened 150 years ago is a mystery. But what we do know is the fire not only revealed deep problems with the way the city was built structurally, but socially. It's Tuesday, October 5th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Uber on the way here, my driver asked me, he was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to speak with this curator at the Chicago History Museum about the Chicago fire. And he was like, uh, so the Chicago fire, he was like, didn't that happen because that, that lady's cow kicked over something and like set the city on fire? And I was like, I don't, I don't think that's the exact story, sir, but I'm going to go find out a little bit more. She is blamed for this because being Irish Catholic, being an immigrant, she is part of a group of people who are blamed for all of the city's ills and all of the city's problems. And they're sort of looked down upon as immigrants. Julius Jones curated the History Museum's exhibit, City on Fire, Chicago 1871, about the Great Chicago Fire. So you see a depictions of Miss O'Leary's cow kicking over the uh, fire. And so even though the official account says that this didn't happen, these sort of images say that she's guilty. They turned it into a meme. Yeah. A, mm-hmm. a meme before a meme. Yes. Mm-hmm. Early on in the exhibit, you see just why Chicago was built ready to burn. There are maps of the city and artifacts of what the city was built out of most of which is wood. Uh, Julius told me the sidewalks, the homes, even some of the water pipes. And that October in 1871 was particularly hot and dry. But it was more than just the physical landscape. Tensions were high in the city as more immigrants came and some of them became targets for bias and blame. You have immigrants who make up approximately half of the city. So the city is about half native born. Um, have immigrant, and there there are these social tensions that exist that you know are brought to the forefront during the fire and in the recovery. Chicago, you know, America loves to scapegoat immigrants when when tragedy happens, when when something's going on in the country. Um, how do you all again break down that narrative and complicate that so people leave this museum, uh, not only understanding that was a myth, but understanding just how problematic that was yeah i think for us it we call it out and we call it out for what it is a a scapegoating right you know blaming people for problems because they look different from you they speak a different language they're from a different place than you um and, and unfortunately that's a behavior that we continue to see so our job in this exhibit is to draw a parallel and you know we have been working on this for over two years so as I and and the development team are reading the materials, going through the stories. We see this sort of parallel to sort of anti-immigrant sentiment that occurred during the pandemic. We felt it was incumbent to call it out and draw that historic parallel clearly so uh, our visitors would understand it. Now we move in the color kind of drastically, not drastically, mm-hmm. but it changes, right? From mm-hmm. that sky blue, from mm-hmm. that wooden tan. Now we're surrounded by reds and oranges. You can see the fire, um, like graphics on, at the top 
around the auditorium. Can you tell me a little bit about how this shift in the room, like like what's happening in this room right now? Yeah, so this is the uh, second section of the exhibition called The Burning City. And this is, the city is now on fire, right? And so there's there's a, there are several myths around the fire. One is that the city was unprepared for the fire, right? And so we have an original alarm box and that highlights that the city actually had an elaborate fire response system. Uh, we have a model steam pumper here because the city was prepared to fight the fire. It's just that fire had become such a common occurrence that the combination of fatigue, equipment failure, human error really gave the fire just enough time to grow out of control. How, how common were fires in, in the wooden city during that time? Oh, you were having multiple fires daily in Chicago, right? And so it really is remarkable that this was the one fire that ultimately grew to take on his life of own because there were numerous candidates that could have. In reality, fire was a regular occurrence um, in, in Chicago, which is part of why, you know, the ultimately the fire department was was literally just beat into submission by the frequency of the fires. How many homes, businesses, like buildings are burned in that 36 hours. So we know that uh, about 17,500 structures were destroyed um, and, and about 100,000 people were left unhoused as a result of the fire. So in the media aftermath, you definitely have an enormous uh, humanitarian crisis. All, when I'm thinking about this, all I can think about is chaos. What are people's options during this? Are people just like jumping into the, the river or trying to get out into the lake? What what, what are people doing? It's all of the above. So people get in, jump into the river, the, the lake. If they're fortunate enough to have uh, wagons, they try, or horses, they try to escape. But as you see here, we have these lithographs of the crowds. It's very difficult to, to navigate a horse and a wagon through this the throngs of people trying to escape. But ultimately, they soon realize that they're just going to have to abandon, you know, everything but what they can hold in their hands or what is even on their back. How many people are ultimately lost in that fire? Well, the official death count is 300, but many people think that's uh, significantly under count. Um, and, and many people believe that some people were just sort of burned alive and there were no remains to recover from them. There, There is no sort of FEMA, right? There's no emergency response department. There's no uh, no one trying to keep track of, of how many people are lost in, in that way that we would think of now. If there is no FEMA, there are no like large organizations to provide people with mass relief? Is it a scenario where the people who have means just move on and start rebuilding and everyone else is kind of left out? Well, no. Actually, what happened, the original plan uh, was there was going to be a, a committee of, you know, mayor, aldermen, and some other civic leaders to, to distribute aid. And then that was ultimately turned over to a private um, charity known as the Chicago Relief and Aid Society. And so the most generous reading of it is that the mayor put them in charge because they had the experience with, with charity. But in other readings of it, I think, point to the fact that these are 
the city's kind of money, the elite. So people like George Pullman and Marshall Fields. And as we look at how they approach their work, they approached it with um, biases against immigrants and, and also this idea of people deserve to only be returned to their previous station before the fire. And so they approach their work as attempting to rebuild the pre-fire status quo in Chicago. You know, how, how do they go about carrying that out? So you had to apply, had to fill out an application or have someone fill out an application for you. You had to get letters of references from respectable citizens, so clergy, and they would sort of approach this idea of trying to figure out what you had before the fire so they could then make sure you got that after the fire. So if you owned a home, you could get the the means to build another home. If you had been a small business owner, um, you could get the means to restart your business. 150 years later, and the city didn't burn down, but it definitely shut down. And a lot of the things you're describing in terms of the aftermath, you know, while we do have relief aid and, and stimulus packages, there also is still a feeling like many people didn't get the relief that they need. Do, do you feel that that's, you know, something that's being communicated in this exhibit as well? As we sort of connecting the dots from the beginning of the exhibition, you see that the city was unequitable, right? So if you sort of rebuild the city as it was before the fire, you're reestablishing those inequalities. And I think that's sort of an interesting idea to think about in in our moment with the recovery effort from the the uh, pandemic is the opportunity to recover from the pandemic, the opportunity to address some of those longstanding and deeply entrenched uh, inequalities. When you think about like what those like twenty years between the fire and the World's Fair were like for Chicago. What lessons did the, the city learn? Right. As the city recovered from the fire, it got more wealthy. And this was physically manifested in the city with the building of the skyscraper. So buildings get taller and taller, capital and money gets more and more concentrated. And people who are able to move up literally move up, right? And so for people who are left behind, they're literally on the ground, left behind, looking up. And so you sort of see the sort of way this the recovery went about. You can connect a direct through line to how that affected um, the sort of social tensions in the city, how that led to things like the Haymarket Affair, the Pullman strikes. That's another sort of thing that we, we saw as well during the pandemic, which was the sort of long-standing unrest in, in, in systemic inequalities that people felt like they were experiencing sort of boiled over with the you know murder of George Floyd and all these other things that that happened in the context of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic we have to be mindful of, of of the lessons that history can teach us and that unfortunately many people have ignored you can check out City on Fire Chicago 1871 this Friday at the Chicago History Museum 
before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Governor Pritzker said, despite slowly improving COVID numbers and a slight uptick in statewide vaccination rates, the indoor mask mandate is here to stay for a little while longer. President Biden has rescheduled his visit to suburban Chicago for Thursday, where he's going to discuss COVID-19 vaccine mandates and his larger recovery agenda. He canceled his visit that was planned for last week. Most of the week's weather is going to look like yesterday. Temps hanging out in the mid to high 60s, and it's probably going to be rainy this week. So find you a new book and cuddle up with a blanket, my friends. Quick correction from yesterday. We said the Bears beat the Lions in Detroit, but the Bears were playing at home in Soldier Field. And some good news to get you through. This weekend, the American Indian Center of Chicago is hosting its annual Chicago Pow Wow. The three-day event is held in Schiller Park on the northwest side and is going to feature intertribal dancing, native art and foods, and other cultural presentations. For more Chicago news and events, subscribe to our daily newsletter at chicago.citycast.fm. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Oh, ooh, oh, damn, ooh, school, 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 boo. All right. <clears throat>